You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. about this very thing. Um, I'm part of Generation X. Uh, I'm part of Generation X, and it seems like my generation has just been bypassed because everything we hear about is the millennial generation, and, and there's not, that's not a good or bad. I'm just saying you know, that's just the way it is. But, you know, the millennial generation, and a lot of times we want to blame the millennial generation for this and for that. But the honest truth about it all is that if you look at declining church attendance, it's not all on the millennial generation, is it? It's not all on them. In fact, I've seen studies to show that if parents don't take seriously the Lord and don't take seriously church attendance, their children are certainly not going to. In fact, I saw a study, and I'm, and I'm, I'm generalizing, I'm, uh, generalizing the, the, the quotes here, but if both parents attend church frequently there's an 80 to 90% chance that their children will stay in church. If the father attends church and the mother doesn't attend church, the odds go down to about 60% that children will remain in church. If the mother attends church and the father doesn't, and I don't know what the discrepancy is here, it's about 45% chance that the children will stay in church. But if neither parent attends church frequently, it goes down to only a 15% chance that the children will stay in church, and that's highballing it. So can we really blame everything on the millennial generation? I don't think we can. Amen? I don't really think we can. Uh, and so today I want us to talk about bringing up future leaders. Because I want to tell you one of the most important things that we do as a church, outside of evangelism, but one of the most important things we do as a church is what our children leaders do, what our youth leaders do, what we in the church do, and that is to disciple and bring up future generations in the Lord. Can I get an amen? And, and what you're going to see in today's passage of Scripture highlights the importance of this very thing. Because there was a guy in the church whose name was Apollos, and man, he was a firecracker. Anybody seen one of those preachers that's a firecracker? The moment they open their mouth, man, they have your attention, and they have your attention all the way to the end. And I'm not going to ask if I'm that one that way because I've seen the expressions by the end of the church, and I know that's what the answer is. I'm not going there. So they, he's more of a firecracker than I, than I am. So but anyhow, uh, this guy named Apollos, he's a very eloquent speaker. He's, he's a firecracker. He's very good, very quick on his feet. But Apollos would not be Apollos if it had not been for Priscilla and Aquila. Now let's take a look at today's passage. We encourage you to please stand in honor of the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word as we uh, read the text today. Starting in verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and had been fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. 
When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of the Lord more accurately. Which means that he got the gist of things, but he wasn't getting all the gospel right. So Aquila and Priscilla takes him into their home, and they disciple him, Apollos, to be the man of God that he is. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace... For he vigorously, vigorously refuted the Jewish, the unbelieving Jews publicly, showing them from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. This man was a Ravi Zacharias of his day. He was a William Lane Craig. This guy was, was very skilled in what he did, but that would not have happened had the church not discipled him and grew him in the ways of the Lord. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your bountiful blessings. And Lord, as we talk today about raising future generations in your grace, we ask, Lord, that you would help us to bring forth the leaders of the next generation, for us to be patient with any questions they may have and, and not spark off and become angry when they, when they ask the, the, the more serious questions, but be patient with them, guiding them and instructing them in your ways. And Lord, today as we've, we've uh, heard the, this prayer request of the Janos family, we just ask, Lord, that you bless over the family this morning and give them comfort that only you can. And Lord, we just simply ask this morning that you would allow me to speak your word with clarity and with boldness. And Lord, that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it is in the name of Jesus we ask these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Going back to the study I just mentioned, I heard a story, a funny little story about a pastor who, um, who met a person who attended the church but didn't see him that often. It was at a funeral. And the pastor was said uh, to the guy, he says, Sir, you need to be in the army of the Lord. We need to see you at church more than just on Christmas and Eastern special occasions. You need to be in the army of the Lord. And the guy says, Well, pastor, I am in the army of the Lord. He said, You are? He said, Yeah, I'm in the secret service. <laughs> now, whether that's the case, that can be argued. But one of the things that I have seen recently is the importance of community. In fact, just this past week, uh, I had prepared this message before I went up to Lynchburg, and, and uh, Dr. Purser had even mentioned growing up in East, uh, West Tennessee around uh, the Memphis area. I thought of uh, uh, Bob and Sharon. You guys grew up in Tennessee, and we were talking about that very thing. And, and he was talking about in his community, he not only had one mother, he had ten mothers. Because the ladies of the church were like second mothers to him. And, and he said that when he got in trouble, he knew that not only would his mom get on to him, but those ladies in the church would get on to him too. He had to really watch his step, he said, because there was such a strong-knit community of faith. I see Tasha smiling. I think maybe she had some, some, a bunch of mothers too as well. But uh, that's the importance of community, highlighting the emphasis, the importance that we have being the family of God. And being that family means that we must raise the next generation in the ways of the Lord because we don't know we may have another Billy Graham in our midst where's Zach there he is back here. who knows he may be the next Billy Graham now his face is turning red but he may be standing up there speaking to thousands of people we don't know we may have another Billy Graham in our midst today and he and if that's the case I'm just telling you it's because of the discipleship that he would receive or anyone would receive here in the church we see the same is true of Apollos. And so simply today, and Apollos became such a 
powerful speaker that the church in Corinth, there was a segment that said to Paul when this controversy erupted in, in Corinth, they said, well, we stick to Apollos. And Paul had to remind them, church, it's not just about Apollos and Paul and Peter. It's, it's about us coming together as a community of faith. But we want to see three things that Priscilla and Aquila and the church itself did to bring up Apollos to be the future leader of that day and time, of his day and time. First of all, we see bringing up leaders requires evaluating talent. It requires us to evaluate talent. And that simply means that we see the gifts of God in other people. Now, it's important, and I'm going to mention a couple of spiritual gift tests that we can take. It's important that we understand our spiritual gifts. That's, I'm not arguing that. But it's important that we also help others to see their spiritual gifts. I've run across, I can't tell you how many people I've come across that says, Pastor, what's my spiritual gift? What do you see as my spiritual gift? So we need to recognize what God is not only doing in our lives, but what God is doing in the lives of others. And we see this in verse 24. Notice before, uh, before he was even discipled, it was noted that he was an eloquent man. He was mighty in the Scriptures. And he came to Ephesus where Priscilla and Aquila and this, and this, uh, this strong church was in the, in the community of, Athens, of, of Ephesus. Excuse me. Apollos was from Alexandria. Now, Athens was an intellectual capital, but so was Alexandria. At one point in time, Alexandria boasted having the largest library in the world they had, and this is back in B.C. A.D. times, uh, very early on, that one time they boasted a library of, under, of over 400,000 books. Now, we want to think that people of ancient times were, were uh, they just didn't know anything, but these Alexandrians boasted a library of over 400,000 books. At that day and time, let me tell you, that was very impressive. Their library was impeccable, second to none. And out of Alexandria, you have many great theologians like Athanasius who would come later on and battle Arius who was a heretic and, and would strong, he, would, he paid for his stand for truth. He was exiled five times. But eventually it was shown that the truth of God's word that he stood for was true and it held the test of time. So we see that, uh, we see that Apollos comes from this community and they noticed that despite the fact where he came from, they, just, they noticed that he had these gifts and talents, that he was eloquent, that he was good at giving presentations, that he was good at reading Scripture, that he was good in these things. Again, I say to you, it's important for us to evaluate the talents of individuals in our church. For instance, before I had even dreamt of being a preacher... My pastor, Clayt Brown, and I used to have a lot of good conversations after church, and I, I've always been one that after church, after hearing a message, I would probably quiz the preacher about 10 or 12 things that was mentioned to, to, to understand a little bit more of the Scripture. I probably drove him crazy afterwards. But I remember his godly wife, Nona Brown, sat in that pew one day and looked at me and smirked, and she said, uh, Brian, you're going to be a preacher one of these days. I said, uh -uh. <laughs> no way. I, and even my grandma Chilton, I remember sitting with her in her in her household, and she used to tell me, Eva Chilton's her name. She said, "Brian, you're going to be a preacher." I was like, "Mm mm, mm mm, not going to happen. No way." Well, look, see who's right. <laughs> you know, they were right. Now they knew something that I didn't know because they saw God moving in my life in a way that I did not see. And I believe that we, as a church, that God gives us the ability to look at young people's lives, to look at individuals, and see the gifts and abilities that they have. And we, as a church, need to do that. 
That's one th- if there's one thing I've learned this week, it's a powerful thing, is that the Scripture does not teach the individualism that we focus upon so much. Rather, it teaches that we are a family, that we are a community of faith, and that each of us must die to ourselves. We must decrease, and Christ must increase. So many times we seek to be the superheroes, don't we? We want to be popular. We want to be famous. But you know, it's not about us. It's about Christ Jesus, is it not? It's not about elevating ourselves. It's about elevating Christ. And that's what it's all about. And beloved, that's what the early church understood. And so we need to not seek to, to, to elevate ourselves. We need to seek to elevate one another. And by doing so, coming together as a community of faith, evaluating the talent that we all have. And if you're interested in wanting to know more about your spiritual gift, if you go to lifeway.com, they have a spiritual gifts inventory. And they also have another one at spiritualgiftstest.com. Uh, but understand that just because you may be strong in certain things, maybe evangelism is not your strong point, that doesn't mean that you're not still supposed to evangelize, amen? Just because you may be weak in an area doesn't mean you don't do it. Maybe gifts is not your, not your most powerful gift, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't give. You know, we, we're responsible for all these things. It just simply means that we're gifted in certain aspects uh, that God has given us. But number one is evaluating talent, seeing the gifts that God has given individuals. And number two, bringing up leaders requires educating theology. It must require that we sit down and understand what this book says. Amen? If there's one qualm I have with us being Baptists is that unfortunately I think the case is so many times what happens is a person comes down, they receive the Lord, we, 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 we dunk them in water, we give them the right hand of fellowship and say, go be on your merry way. That's one thing I think we are failing at as Baptists. In other denominations, before a person becomes a member of the church, they have an entire catechism they go through before they're accepted in his membership. They look at the theology. They see what the Bible teaches. They know what they believe by the time they go through that and why they believe it. They go through this long series. But Bob, Bob Dill and I have talked about this quite frequently, that so many times we pat someone on the back, say, welcome to church, go on your merry way, but we don't take time to really train people in what the Bible actually says, do we? Amen, Bob? I mean, that's so true. We need to be training individuals. And notice this is what Priscilla and Aquila did with Apollos. And and I want you to see five things, five things that they did with Apollos that I think is so critical for us in our modern church to do. Number one, they were trained to know what they believed and why they believed it. Before they started teaching Apollos, they themselves had been taught. Amen? Before they started giving instruction... To Apollos, they themselves took the time to become a student. Before you are a teacher, you must first learn how to be a student. Before before you're a leader, you must first learn how to follow. And I'm going to tell you in Christian ministry, if you don't know how to follow Christ, you don't need to lead. Amen? If you don't know how to follow the Holy Spirit, then you don't need to take a leadership position in church. And so Priscilla and Aquila, they learned what the Bible taught. They learned what Christ taught before they before they uh, took a step forward to be a teacher. Now, you look at Facebook, everybody's an expert, amen? (laughs) Amen? Facebook and Twitter, you see, if if you have an opinion, oh my goodness, then I'm the expert on that. But are we always right? Man, I'm going to tell you, this past week, I realized just how wrong I was about certain things. 
And that's true of all of us. Before we can teach, we must learn how to be a student and follow. That's what disciples mean. That's what being Jesus' disciple means that we are His students. So they first had to be trained before they could teach. That's what Jesus even said. You remember that, that statement he says, before you try to take the splinter out of your neighbor's eye, take the log out of your own? That doesn't mean that you're not trying to help that other person, but you have to take and correct the things in your own life. You have to be trained up in the Lord yourself before you can offer help to someone else. Number two, they were true to the message of the gospel and spotted errors in Apollos' message. Now that doesn't mean that you have to sit there with your notepad and listen to every message saying, mm-hmm. Well, the preacher, he was right about that. <laughs> Boy, he's a heretic in that. He was right on this aspect. That doesn't mean you have to go through everything with a fine-tooth comb, but it just simply means that you're willing to spot errors, uh, that you're always biblically thinking, that you're, that you're focused on what the message of the gospel is about. And number three, they lovingly... Can everybody say lovingly? Say it again, Lovingly. They, love, they lovingly corrected Apollos. They didn't go and say, Apollos, boy, man, you're a heretic. Boy, you just need to crawl back under the rock you came from. What in the world were you thinking? You're just an awful person. Don't you ever do that again. Now, did they do that? Now, Francis, did they do that? Obviously not. They lovingly corrected. That means they didn't try to embarrass him. They took him to the side and said, Apollos, we're going to help you in some of these aspects. You're doing a great job, man, but there's some areas you, you could use some help on this, and we're going to take time to go with you and, and to show you some of these areas, to, to share with you uh, what we have learned, and so that's what they did. Number four, they trained Apollos and discipled him. Now, this also required Apollos to have the willingness to listen. But they, they trained Apollos and they discipled him. And number five, after they went through all of that, they encouraged Apollos to serve. They didn't try to keep their thumb on him, but they allowed him to serve according to the Lord's will. Again, we notice that Apollos' willingness to be discipled is key, and that's so true of all of us. And again, I say, and I, and I, I want to emphasize this, that before we teach, we must first learn how to be a student. Before we lead, we must first learn how to follow because that's what Christian ministry is all about. Thomas Oden writes, Accurate recollection of apostolic testimony was understood to be undergirded and ensured by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Subsequent generations of attesters are perennially pledged and bound to recall accurately and non-invasively the salvation event as received. In other words, they took seriously the message of the gospel. And they wanted to make sure that future generations understood what Jesus had said, what Jesus had done, and how that impacts their lives. Last but certainly not least, bringing up leaders requires enabling tasks. Notice in verses 27 and 28 that after all this happened, they sent forth Apollos and said, you go serve where God calls you. Amen? You go and serve as the Lord has led you to serve. I want to tell you today that there's a very important thing. When we see God calling a pastor, we see God calling a preacher in our church, we do two things as a Baptist church. We first license that individual. And what that simply means is we give our stamp of approval upon that individual saying, we recognize God's call upon this person's life. And that allows them to baptize individuals. That allows them to... Um, 
to uh, participate in many of the events of church. It does not allow them, and licensure does not allow them to marry someone. It does not allow them to officiate the Lord's Supper. Those are the only two things they can't do. But everything else in ministry they can do. We recognize God's calling upon them. And when we ordain them, we give them full access to ministry, to marry, to, do, to officiate the Lord's Supper, and all the things that are accompanied with uh, ministry. We say that we recognize God's hand upon that person, and we have sent him forth in the name of Jesus because we understand God has done a great work in his life. Beloved, it is so important that we not only train up our future leaders but that we understand that God has a calling for them. And while we would love, like for instance, say God calls Zach to be the next Billy Graham, we may want and desire, or, or even Grayson or anyone else, we may want and desire for them to stay here, but it may be that God is calling them to go do a crusade for all we know or something of that sort. So we have to be able and willing to allow God to use our people uh, the way He so chooses to do. Paulos' ministry was greatly, uh, greatly came about because of the ministry of Priscilla and Aquila. Had it not been for Priscilla and Aquila, Apollos would not have been the man that he was. But you see, you see that all throughout the book of Acts. Paul would not have been Paul if it had not been for Barnabas. And again, we emphasize the necessity of having a strong community, that this Christian walk is not about building up ourselves. It's about building up each other in the Lord. Let me close with this. It's so important that we learn the ways of the Lord and we implement the ways of the Lord. That we don't just keep repeating the, the same things we do, but that we allow God to mold us and develop us and to make us what we need to be. For instance, I read a story, I heard a story about two, uh, two hunters by the name of Bill and Joe. Bill and Joe went up to uh, the Alaskan frontier, and they were hunting moose. And so they hired this pilot to fly them to this desolate area, to this lake, and the pilot lands this float plane on the lake, and they unload their gear, and they go and they start hunting moose. When they told the pilot to, to come back and meet them a week later, uh, and then they would be ready to fly back to their, to their destination. And so when the pilot lands, uh, he, he lands, and, and here comes Bill and Joe with all their gear, and they had killed three moose. Now, have you ever seen how big a moose is? They're pretty big, amen? A moose is huge. I mean, I, I think about people hitting deer here. I can't imagine what it would be like to hit a moose. I mean, how would you come back from that? I mean, a moose is huge, man. It is huge. So the pilot sees these guys coming, and he sees them carrying the meat of three moose. And the pilot says, guys, 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 hold up a second. There is no way this little plane is going to be able to hold your weight the weight of your gear, and three moose. Bill and Joseph will yell at Will. The pilot says, no, it won't. There's no way. And they argued back and forth until finally Bill says, listen, we did this last year. We loaded up three moose and we took off and we flew. The only difference is, is that we had a pilot who was brave enough to try. So I think the problem is not with the moose, it's not with our gear, it's with you, the pilot. Well, that really angered the pilot. He says, throw your stuff in here, we're going to take off. Let's do it. So sure enough, they load the moose in there. The plane starts sinking a little bit. You know, it's, it's still floating, but it's, it starts going down. And finally, they have this whole plane packed, and they close the door. And the pilot revs up the engine, 
gets going, and he, and he has the brake on. He's got that throttle going full speed, and then he lets the, releases the brake. It starts skipping off the lake and goes up, hits the water, goes up and hits the water, goes up again, hits the water. Finally, it takes off just enough to barely clear the trees, but there's another tree it hits. The plane flips over, and everything and everyone lands, crash down on the ground. And then you hear Bill say, Joe, you okay? Joe says, yeah. Bill, you okay? Bill says, yeah. You know what, Joe? He said, what? We flew about 50 feet farther than we did last time, didn't we? (laughs) Now, what's the point in that? The point is they didn't learn from their past failed mistakes. They kept doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Beloved, let let that not be the case for the church. Let us be discipled of the Lord and learn His ways and and look forward to doing great things for Christ, but obviously taking seriously the importance that we all have in bringing up the future generation. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today without Jesus, we encourage you to come and receive Him today. But as we've been talking about these things, maybe God has been calling you to do something. And I don't know what that calling may be. But maybe he has his hand on you and he is calling you to do something great. And maybe you've been fighting it. Trust me, beloved, I am one who has definitely fought against God. And I can just go ahead and tell you, God's going to win. Amen? God's going to win. So if God's calling you to do something today, you may not know what that is, but maybe you feel that impression of the Holy Spirit pressing down upon your heart. I want to encourage you to come down and just... Just to give yourself wholly and completely to the Lord. To say, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do. Whatever your calling is on my life. I want to I serve you, Lord, however that may be. We encourage you to come down and do that today. But church, I just want to, if nothing else, if you've heard nothing else I've said today. I want us all to pray for our future generation. So that we would have leaders who would arise, that God would do great things through them, and that we would have individuals who would change the world for Christ because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in and, of, in and through their lives. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your bountiful blessings upon us. We thank you for the opportunity to be known by you and to know you, to be loved by you and to love you and to love one another as you've called us to do. And Lord, we just simply ask, Lord, that you would bless over this time of invitation but Lord I just want to certainly pray for our young people today for our kids and for our teenagers for our college age students because they are facing they will face circumstances and challenges that we have not faced and we just want to ask Lord that you would just impart your grace upon them to fill them with your spirit Lord and to call them to do some great things to change this world the views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment.
be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Who is God? What is He like? How can we know? The answers you give to these questions will have a tremendous impact on your worship, discipleship, apologetics, and evangelism. Faulty ideas about God are permeating both the church and the culture. It's time to get back to the basics of understanding the existence and nature of the God who is. Marking the 25th year of this annual event, Southern Evangelical Seminary's National Conference on Christian Apologetics returns to Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, with an all-star lineup of some of the finest Christian minds in the world to explore this incredibly important topic. Join us October 12 through 13, 2018, at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Among the 65 speakers at the event include Ravi Zacharias of RZIM, Josh McDowell of Josh McDowell Ministries, Chip Ingram of Living on the Edge, Gary Habermas of Liberty University, Natasha Crane, Richard Land, and many, many more. Ticket prices before August 1st are $75 for adults, $45 for students. After August 1st, the tickets go up to $85 for adults and $55 for regular price. Save an extra 5% per ticket when you register by May 1st. Group, homeschool, Christian school, and skeptic discounts are available. Call for details by dialing 1-800-77-TRUTH, extension 201. Once again, that's 1-800-77-TRUTH, extension 201. Or go to conference.ses.edu. The 25th anniversary of the National Conference on Christian Apologetics will be October 12th and 13th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hope to see you there.